Our lesson for today comes from John chapter 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and striking him on the face. Pilate went out again and said to them, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no case against him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Here is the man. When the chief priests and the police saw them, they shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. Then Jesus answered, Then the, the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has claimed to be the Son of God. Now when Pilate heard this, he was more afraid than ever. He entered his headquarters again and asked Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have power to release you and power to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no power over me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are no friend of the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself against the emperor. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside and sat on the judge's bench at a place called the Stone Pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now, it was a day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about noon. He said to the Jews, here is your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate asked them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but the emperor. Then he handed him over to them to be crucified. Here ends the reading. Thanks be to God. Just a quick word of gratitude before I begin for... Uh, my sense of being grateful and to be part of a family of faith that not only uh, recognizes the needs that are taking place in our community and our world, but does also respond. I'm grateful for Kay Wothy and for her insistence that we continue to think about and speak about mental health care concerns and the opportunity to help our collaborative. Uh, I'm especially grateful to Pastor Joanna and all of our kids for leading us into a conversation about supporting a refugee family. Uh, for taking care of needs both in our immediate community and around the world. I'm grateful for the abundance of care that this family of faith provides. So in advance, thank you. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, stir up your holy power on this day and come. Send your spirit into our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our ears, that we might hear a word for us today anew, and that we too might then live out that which we believe. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you've noticed, because I recognize that not everybody is here every single Sunday in a row, but for the last few weeks, we have slowed down the video camera of the story of the last few days of Jesus' life to almost a complete crawl. We have looked intently at a number of the scenes uh, following Jesus' arrest and a subsequent move into the garden and into his crucifixion. 
Much to some of my colleagues' chagrin, we have spent an enormous amount of time slowing down and looking at these stories. I've had a little bit of an opposite reaction, and I have found a sort of strange duality in each of these stories. One, on the one hand, of being enormously convicted, and on the other, inspired. We have slowed down this video way down to watch and experience Jesus' interaction with so many, and I just want to walk carefully through them with each of you as we move towards Jesus and the cross. We slowed down and we paused for just a second and watched Peter's interaction as he follows Jesus into the courtyard. As Jesus' best friend, he follows him in, ready to fight. He pulls out his sword and is ready to go. And as he leaves that courtyard, he leaves it in shame and sorrow and a sense of betrayal. I've played Peter so many times on Palm Sunday and other dramas that I feel like I've embodied him often. And I have often felt the weight and the fear and the confusion that I think grips Peter as Jesus is put on trial and Peter has no idea what he's supposed to do and instead he denies his relationship with Jesus and collapses. I have an enormous sense of sympathy for Peter When push comes to shove, when the rubber hits the road, Peter loses his conviction and his nerve. And yet, as the video camera slows down, Jesus walks on in calm and compassion. The next scene that we flip to is one of Pilate, the political ruler and leader of the day. And Pilate paces back and forth in the scene with anxiety and fear and indecision. What's so interesting is the one who actually holds political power and holds real control. He's the one who speaks about the power that he has and yet at the same time is just absolutely blown by the winds of popular peer pressure and even violates the dictates of his very own conscience. In many ways, Pilate is the portrayal of a political ruler who is absolutely unanchored, flapping like a sail and a sailboat that has become unmoored from its anchoring and flapping in the wind. And as we slow down like Peter, I strangely recognize Pilate in myself and in our world. And in the midst of Pilate's pacing and anxiety and indecision and disruption of his own conflict, Jesus walks calmly. Even at points, he walks silently in this begging invitation of love to see the truth. In the midst of all this storm swirling around in anxiety and betrayal by Pilate and Peter, The priests and religious rulers, they proclaim and pummel Jesus with the violence of words and false accusations and things that they blatantly know aren't true. The religious rulers rail on Jesus with the violence of angry assaults, verbal lashes, false accusations, name-calling, mockery. Crucify him. Kill him. Destroy him, his reputation and reality. 
And if you are anything like me, as I watch the story slow down and unfold, I cringe at their betrayal. Their betrayal of Jesus, their betrayal of themselves, their betrayal of their own central conviction as they so loudly declare, we have no emperor but the king. Love the Lord your God alone. They have violated their own prime directive of our faith. Angrily, violently, vocally, I cringe because I've too often seen myself in the echoes in my heart and their own voices. I've hurled insults. I've cut others down. I've seek to destroy their reputation. And in the midst of the angry shouts and violence, Jesus walks on, anchored in the conviction of trust, hope, and love. Finally, as we move closer to the cross, the soldiers will strike Jesus with fists and floggings. They will press into his head a crown of thorns. They will robe him in purple and mock him and spit on him. They will carry out the loss of their own conviction and every character. And yet, Jesus still silently will walk on. In the midst of pummelings, Jesus walks slowly, purposefully. He will stand silently. He will speak softly, like the whisper of love in the eye of a storm of chaos, verbal violence, emotional betrayal, and physical pain. The violence is repulsive if you listen and watch closely and slow down the video to watch. The verbal insults, the emotional betrayal, the evil actions of those around him, it is repulsive and it is meant to be. It is meant to be because you hear it in your own story and you see it in the world and you feel it in the sense of your own heart exposing the very darkest part of ourselves I hear in the characters and in the story, the cry out of human beings for control, respect, to be righteous, to be powerful, to speak the narrative of truth that we know that we actually do not own. To slow down the video is to see the violence of the story as it exposes the violence of the world and the violence of my own heart the violence we inflict upon each other and the violence we even inflict upon ourselves when we tell ourselves we are unworthy, unlovable, or not enough. But the strange duality of the story is that I am also inspired. Jesus does not hit back. Jesus does not return pain for pain, but instead walks calmly forward with compassion and hope and purpose and love. Jesus is often silent, I think, begging those around him to drop their own pretense that they know is false, 
to see their own violence for what it is and instead turn around and repent and walk alongside of Jesus. I am strangely, on the one hand, attracted to follow Jesus. Even as he so walks, I recognize my own part in this drama. While on the one hand convicted, I am also freed to see that the violence, name-calling, selfish behavior will not win. But love will dare to die even to itself to attract all people onto God. I am inspired, which means to in-breathe, to breathe in God's spirit, to have it find and connect to me and call out to me to look and live in a different way. It's sort of like being born again. I suddenly have compassion for Peter and even myself. I strangely have compassion for Pilate and even myself. I suddenly have some compassion and sympathy even for the religious leaders and then therefore even myself. I have compassion maybe even for the soldiers and then maybe even for myself. I have then suddenly compassion for myself and maybe even for my neighbor. There's a strange duality in this story of being on the one hand convicted and the other hand inspired. As the video camera slows down this week to watch this story unfold, may the strange duality of this story of being convicted and inspired daily be so for all of us. Amen.